God is trying to get his people to understand that, hey, you are powerful. You have power by his spirit, right? Amen. So there's no need for us to be destroyed by anything that we go through. So we've been talking about the armor. And like I told you before, laying the groundwork here, I'm going to take my time. So if it's too slow for you, then I apologize. But I'm going to take my time. Ain't no rush. (laughs) Amen. Y'all all right with that? I mean, I got stuff, but we just take our time. You know, I take my time throughout the week to try to study and put the stuff together. Pastor's like, man, where's the notes? And I'm like, I'm trying to get them to you, but they just keep coming. So we'll take our time. Is that all right? Amen. I'm having fun. I'm having fun mainly because I'm amongst the people of God and what God is doing. I'm enjoying living for God. I really am, you know. So we're going to continue on. We were talking about, uh, we talked a little bit about the, um, having a belt of truth, having your loins geared about with truth, understanding that what you produce, your loins, obviously, uh, they cover your reproductive organs, right? So Naturally, what you produce is a result of what's in you, right? Amen? So you want to make sure that truth is in you. I was telling somebody, you know, and this kind of going ahead of what I was going to present today, but, you know, truth, we look at the armor of God, and for me, the armor of God is not just about what you wear externally, You know, it's not just a surface thing. It's something that becomes a part of you. So it's different than the normal armor we talk about when we refer to, you know, us in the army or those of us in the military that have received armor that we wear or, you know, the policemen or whoever that wear the protective gear. It's different in the fact that it becomes a part of us. And it should be so that it's inseparable when you look at it or when somebody looks at it, they can't distinguish between you and truth because that's what you live in. That makes sense. Can't distinguish between you and righteousness because that's part of your life. When they see you, they see righteousness, the righteousness of God. Right. So it should be something that's a part of you. Uh, and then we're talking about uh, picking up today, talking about the boots of the gospel. I call them the boots. The Bible says have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So you can call them tennis shoes and call them whatever you want. But I call them boots. And the reason why I call them boots is because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes the terrain that we travel across can be rugged. Right. Can be a little rough. So boots were designed with tough soles to safeguard our feet while preventing us from stumbling and falling. And you, you've got different types of boots for different terrain. You wear snow boots. They're designed to keep you from slipping and falling. They even got boots with spikes on them to keep you from slipping on the ice. You know, you've, if you're climbing a mountain, they've got boots for that. You know, you're in combat or you're going through the mud or whatever. You know, anybody remember the jungle boots? <laughs> right? So they got different boots for different purposes, okay? But the boots, overall, they serve the same purpose, okay? And that is to protect your feet. 
Because your feet, without your feet, you really can't get anywhere, right? They carry you. You know, this like at the bottom, just to me, right? They're at the bottom of your body, right? So you would think that they're the lowest part. Stay with me for a minute. They're the, the lowest part of your body. So you would think that it's the least significant. I'm just, I'm getting somewhere though. I'm, I'm getting at a certain point. Sometimes in the body of Christ, if we're not careful, we look at people who are lower or beneath as insignificant. When all the while, they're the ones that's carrying us through. I just thought that was a good point. You know, that's what God gave me. So, I... But they're important. And so we have to make sure that they're protected. Naturally, again, we wear certain, certain shoes, certain footwear to protect our feet, to help protect our feet. Assist us as we travel toward our destination. And the boots of the gospel are really not different in that in that sense. They're designed to help protect our spiritual feet as we travel up the pathway of salvation. Remember what I told you, salvation is not a one time event, but it's a lifetime experience. Amen. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. The only way you can make that statement true is if you continue to stay saved. Then when I reached the other side, I said, man, I once was saved and I'm still saved today. Thank God. But until we get there, we got to keep on trucking. Keep on moving. And so sometimes that terrain on that salvation path may not be smooth. It may not be that plush carpet, padded feeling. Anybody wear slippers and you got your nice slippers that you slip on your feet and you know you're at home and you're just comfortable? Sometimes it ain't like that. But there's a reason for it. The boots of the gospel that keep us from walking into the traps of the enemy, when we put on lace and tie the boots of the gospel on our feet we become founded wrapped and tied up in the good news of salvation in christ jesus so here's the deal before we can get anywhere in the things of god we have to start with the good news the gospel right that's what it is it's good news so if I go to the, I had a conversation, I'll tell you about it in a second. But if I go to someone in the world who does not know Christ, I'm, my, my first responsibility is to do what? What did Jesus do? He commissioned us to do what? Right? Go preach the gospel. Go teach it, right? So we start with the gospel. Brother Jeff, you ain't in church. You ain't never stepped foot in the church. And I'm already telling you, hey, man, you just start wearing that stuff that you're wearing. God don't like that. You're going to hell. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that, so don't take that as that. 
about it, this, this is what happens in our efforts. I've said this before, but as people of God, sometimes we can become so eager, so zealous to share the things of God, you know, and God has brought us to a certain place. And there's nothing wrong with the zeal. There's nothing wrong with that. But zeal without wisdom. What are we talking about this month? Right. Zeal without wisdom is dangerous. We can kill a soul before we even gain them. That's like taking somebody, you know, that, that's already having respiratory issues on their way to the hospital in the ambulance. And all I do is just put my hand across their mouth and their nose and just suffocate them. They didn't stand a chance. So before I could even get them to the point where they can be restored, where their health can, you know, be repaired, I'm already killing them. Now, I'm not, t- I'm not saying we got to water down the truth. What I live is what I live. But if I'm trying to reach the people in the world, I got to start somewhere. What did Jesus do? He didn't speak to them like he spoke to the disciples. And if you read how he spoke to the Pharisees, there was some difference there, too. <laughs> right? But when he spoke to the multitudes, he spoke to them in parables. He says the kingdom of heaven is like And he gave so many different examples. The disciples asked him at one point, why are you speaking to them in parables? He says to him that have, they're going to receive more. But to him that have not, it'll be taken away, even that which they have. In other words, if I talk to them like I'm talking to you, I'm going to lose them even more so. They're not going to be able to handle or contain or understand what I'm relaying to you. You spend time with me. You learn the stuff. We've already talked about some of the stuff. You've been given an understanding. They have not come to that point yet. So I got to start somewhere. And if you notice, a lot of times Jesus was always talking to the multitude about love and about the kingdom of heaven. So. When we share the gospel, the gospel should be good news. It should be something that catches the attention of the people. Now, I'm not telling you to go, you know, compromise because we have a lot of that going on. I was I was watching every now and then, you know, I'll go on if I see something that catches my eye on YouTube and they have different things about, you know, uh, different subjects the one I was watching yesterday was talking about mega churches, so on and so forth. But they brought out how they go to great lengths and they have they have actually changed the message of the gospel to grow numbers. I know we record, so I ain't gonna do it. But it's interesting when you look at and this there was a there was two particular gentlemen i think it was in the 1970s who started this trend but the whole thing was if i go the 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 message is or the the method is if i go and i appeal to the people based upon what they want i can draw them better 
but I'm not giving them what they need. What does the Bible talk about? You know, the time will come they're they're not going to, you know, they're going to heap to themselves teachers, right? Of themselves, of their own kind, the ones that's going to say the things that they want to hear. And we have famous, they call them, they call them, uh, oh man. Well, no, yeah. (laughs) But they call them, there's a name that they call them, and I can't remember. Celebrity pastors. They call them celebrity pastors. And so, and they will tell you that, yes, it's about the numbers. In fact, they go to great lengths as to say to the church that, hey, once you have had the salvation experience, according to what they teach, that the church is no longer for you. The moment you have that experience, the church is no longer for you. They deliver this message. And they're saying that the church is for the unchurched. This is not my word. This is what they produce. This is what's out there. And it's some some of your famous authors. This is what they deliver to the people. Interviews that they have had, they've said this out of their own mouths. So I'm not making it up. You can go on YouTube and find it out yourself. It's out there. You know, when you when you water down the gospel so much as to say, you know what? You don't talk about repentance. You don't talk about water baptism, anything like that. It just comes. It's reduced to a simple prayer. A simple prayer. Less than a minute. And you are now a part of the body of Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner. Please cleanse and wash my heart. Change me. Save me. I now give my life and my heart, my mind to you. Whatever variation that they give is the same. It's the same structure. And once you're done with that prayer, welcome to the family of God. You are now saved. You have made the greatest step in your life. Now, some of the verbiage in that prayer, I believe, is applicable. But it doesn't end with just those words in a small prayer. Does that make sense? It takes a transformation. The Bible teaches us that. It's necessary to repent. It is a requirement. Without repentance, we can't even get to the point where we're baptized. Water baptism really means nothing for us because all we're doing is going down wet and coming up wet. If I'm not willing to repent and turn away from my sins, then what's the point of even getting baptized in the first place? Right? But they're not teaching this stuff. And the danger is we have a whole bunch of people who feel like they have experienced, according to the gospel message, or what's being portrayed as the gospel message, they've experienced this and now they're on their way to heaven. And then some of them can't figure out why they don't have power to refrain from sin. Sexual sin. 
homosexual sin, lying, smoking, drinking, all these other things. Why, why can't they have any discipline in their lives? It's going to take more than you. Right? Okay, well, I know for me it takes more than me. I'm willing to admit that. Most of the time I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, I need your spirit. Please don't leave me because I can't do this on my own. I've tried and I've messed it up every time. But I need you to help me so I can do these things right, so I can live right, so I can make sure I'm being a husband like I'm supposed to be, being the father that I'm supposed to be, being the man of God that I'm supposed to be. Help me. God, I don't want to get up here and teach Sunday school without your spirit. Doesn't matter how good the word, you know, the word sound coming out of my mouth. That's great. Oh, you can already great. But where's the power? We're talking about changing lives, and the only way to truly change a life is to have some power. And there's power in the gospel. So we can't afford to diminish the gospel. We can't afford to take away from the gospel message because there's power in it. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? For it is what? It is power, right? Unto what? So that means that if I'm using the gospel to reach folks, it's going to bring them and draw them to where? Is power unto what? That's what we're trying to get them to, right? We want you to have this experience so you understand what it means to live for God. It's not just a, you know, uh, we, well, we come together just to kind of spend time, check the block, and we, hey, we had another service. That's great. See you. I, I like that shirt. All right. We'll see what, what you wear next week. Right? That's not the point of why we come. If anything... When we come to the house of God, everything we contribute in the service should be, and most likely is, a reflection of what we spent time doing throughout the week. Right? That sounds right, right? So if I can't clap my hands and I can't sing songs because... You, you ever been a praise leader, worship leader, song leader, preaching the message, whatever it is you doing, and you behind this platform, and, or you know this podium, and you you up there, and you're trying to encourage people. Come on, let's get on fire for God. Now, first of all, we shouldn't have to pump you up because what I'm excited about, you should be just as excited, right? Nobody's had to tell me to clap my hands. I may not be able to leap and, you know, jump around like some of the kids. Maybe I can't, but I can open up my mouth. Right? We got to stop acting so sophisticated and before God, like God don't know who we are. <laughs> Put on the front for God. There's no need to. Man, this would be the place where, you know, when you're at home, right? When you're at home, that's like your comfort zone, right? You do all kinds of silly stuff in the house that you might not do on the outside, right? Okay, see, I, all right, look. 
maybe it's just me. I got it. My kids are still young, so maybe it's just me. Maybe nobody else kind of gets silly when they get home or whatever. You know, I'm not talking about get crazy, but just get right. So why not in the house of God? Be comfortable enough to just raise my hand and sing songs and and nobody's saying, you know, be out of character and just start being disruptive. You start running on the pews and stuff, you know, you gotta watch out. People sitting on these pews, you know. But if you if you're if you're if you don't mind coming to the house of God and singing the songs, man, if you want to get in the aisle, so how many people have don't raise your hand because I don't, you know, I ain't trying to call nobody out. But if you've ever sat in the chair and, you, you know, the songs are going and you just feel the power of the uh, power of God and you feel the spirit just leading you, provoking you to do something and you just kind of quenching the spirit. Because that's silly. That's just not my character. That's just the point. God is trying to express his character, not yours. That's not how I behave. But God is saying, I want them to see me, not you. If you just let me work through you, that's who they're going to see. You keep quenching my spirit, they're not going to see it. And it's the same thing with the gospel. If the Spirit is leading us to share it with somebody, why hold back? Y'all with me? Look, the gospel is important. So here's the deal. This is what I was getting at. The gospel is important, but we got to make sure that when we are preaching the gospel, when we're trying to reach out to folks, the first thing we got to do is make sure that we are living in it. I can't preach to you, teach to you about an experience that I've never had. And if I try, it's not going to have the same impact. It's not going to have the same effect. You ever had somebody try to tell a story and they really don't know anything about? Try to tell somebody else's story? Look, I lived with my wife and for years... You know, we know about the the testimony, the experience that God has brought her through. But guess what? When I try to tell that testimony about how she was in that emergency room and, you know, she was back there and they were trying to do the emergency C-section, I can only go up to the doorway. They didn't let me beyond that. So I can only tell you the testimony up to that point. But I wasn't the one that actually had that experience. Right? But she can tell you. She can tell you what they told her when she came to. She can tell you how she felt when she realized, man, I'm still here. She can tell you how she felt when they told her her baby was still living. They both made it through. But they wasn't sure if which one was going to make it through. She can tell you that. 
She can tell you the healing process, her body and all that other stuff, the experience that came with that. She can tell you that because she's had that experience. And each one of you, you've had your own experience in life. No one can tell that testimony like you can. Pastor's the only one that can tell that testimony about that truck flipping over like it did and, and, and the coffee not spilling out the cup and, you know, all the thoughts that he had while that truck was flipping and, you know, not knowing if he was going to make it. But he comes out and he barely got a scratch and they, you know, the medical people probably like, man, what is going on? He just, this man doesn't, you know, look at this truck and look at this man. He can only tell you that. I can try to tell you based upon his testimony, based upon him telling it, but he's the only one that can tell you because he's experienced. So it's the same thing with salvation. The gospel is power unto salvation. I can't tell you about it if I don't have it. If I never experienced it. Anybody in here have the Holy Ghost? I tell you what. You might refrain from sharing it with people, but there's no way you can deny the experience that you had. Now, God lets you have that experience, not just so you keep it to yourself, but it's so that you can share it with others. He says what? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So you can do what? You can be a credible witness because you had the experience. When they say, what authority, what is it that that makes you such a credible witness? Because I done experienced it for myself. You ever notice you can talk to you can talk to atheists, you can talk to whoever. You can try to teach them the scripture. And they'll be quick to tell you, I don't believe in that. I don't believe God is real, so on and so forth. But one thing they can't do is take away from your testimony. You tell them, well, look, I can tell you this much. I know God changed my life. You know what their response is most of the time? Well, that's good for you, but, you know, that ain't for me. They can't deny, they can't take away from your experience. So it's a good thing. It's power in that. Satan can't stand when you go out and tell your testimony. That's why he's trying to get some of us to shut up now. Because he's afraid of what your testimony would do for others. He's afraid of that. So we got to have that experience. The spiritual placement and security of our feet within these boots resemble our initial experience of the gospel. The gospel is the divine method of preparation toward salvation. The gospel prepares us by offering hope, granting liberty, and producing power. So when you look at it, it talks about the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel is what is preparing us for what God has for us all the way through. That's why it's important never to take those boots off. As long as we stay in the gospel, it continues to prepare us. Amen. Everywhere we walk, we're still standing in the gospel because it all begins there. And the gospel is about who? The hope of the gospel rests in the promises of Jesus to deliver us from both destruction in this life and the life to come. He assures us that when we return, when he returns, he will catch all of his followers away to reign forever with him. I am going to I do have. Let's see. There's a few scriptures I had in here. 
John chapter 14. We're going to get volunteers today. Because y'all know I like volunteers. Ooh, a little birdie just told me just start picking people. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> John chapter 14. We're beginning with verses two, verses 2 and 3. Yes, sir. In my house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Y'all see that promise? Thank you, sir. Y'all see that promise there, right? In my father's house. Doesn't tell us how many mansions there are. He says there's a lot of them. He says, I'm going. The reason why I'm going is I'm going to prepare a place for you. So when I return, I'm looking for you. So just think of it. You know, Jesus is making a reservation for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want nobody else living in my mansion. If you went and designed it for me, I want to make sure I'm there to go ahead and inherit that. Thank you for my mansion. I think it's awesome, you know, that, that Jesus went through everything that he went through. And he continued to give us promises, letting us know that, hey, I'm coming back. The disciples weren't sure. But when they saw him alive and well afterwards, it was like, man. There was too much evidence about his resurrection to deny. The liberty of the gospel rests in the saving power of Jesus to free us from the bondage of sin. As long as we remain in his presence, we remain free from sin. The power of the gospel rests in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he did not, if he wasn't resurrected... We wouldn't even have hope today. Paul talks about that, right? But because of his resurrection, we have we are given power by his spirit. Ultimately, when we put on the boots of the gospel, they prepare and propel us toward the destination we intend to reach, which is eternity with God. First Thessalonians chapter four. And I may just read some of these just for the sake of time. But First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse, verses 16 through 18. Thank you, sir. We got John chapter 8, verse 36, I believe. Someone can grab that one. Okay, First Thessalonians, uh, verse four and sixteen it says, "For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, 
and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Y'all comforted? Pass it. John chapter 8, verse 36. So we need to remind ourselves, remind one another, and make sure that we are reaching out to folks to let them know that, hey, Jesus lives and he wants you to live with him. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Can't be free without him, right? But if he makes you free, you don't have to live in bondage anymore. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in where? Romans chapter 6, verse 22. See, these are things that the people, the people in the world need to know. You know, we don't, we don't really need to remind them of what they already know. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. So now, again, we're talking about liberty and being freed from what? Sin, right? You know, Jesus came down. He became sin for us, right? He became condemnation for us, but he had no sin. He took on the penalty of sin for us, but he did not sin. And he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now he has all power in his hands, and he still has no sin. So what Jesus did, essentially, is just come down and show us that, hey, this can be done. What did he say in his word? He says, with man, this is is impossible, but with God... And so we can stake our claim, and the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ, which gives me the strength. That's where our strength comes from. You know, some of the, some of the people of God stop trying to do stuff on their own and just let God give them the strength to do what he wants them to do. We'd be so much more effective as a body. But when we try to do it on our own. I can't save nobody. But I know who can. And if I continue to live that life and continue to encourage you and draw you to the one who can change your life and save your life, when you come in contact with him, things will never be the same. You can live according to my doctrine. It only gets you but so far, if anywhere at all. But if I teach you according to what God has established, it's going to it's going to keep you forever. Romans, where do we end up? Romans chapter eight, verse two. You'll see all these scriptures really have one thing in common. Oh, Stephen. All right. You gonna read for us next. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Outstanding. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Go ahead, Brother Stephen. 
For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Is that Romans is that Romans chapter eight verse two? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Mm. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. We might as well keep on going. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Thank you. Oh, here, Sister Angelique. That's all right. I'll tell you. Y'all going to be blessed. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back! Stand in the liberty. Been made free by who? If the Son makes you free. Let's keep going. I love this. I'm gonna we're gonna skip to First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five. And I'm gonna wrap it up with this last scripture here. I love it. I love it. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five. Let's see what Paul, Brother Paul has to say. He has a lot to say. But chapter one, verse five, what does he tell us? Who got the mic? Yeah, you read. You you did your. Any other volunteers? Look at all them hands. God bless you, sis. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we are among you for your sake. I didn't just speak to you about this thing. I'm, I'm showing you. I'm, I'm letting you know. You know what Jesus did? This is what, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus not only spoke to the people, right? He didn't just come and just say, oh, you know, change your life, give your life over, you know, just repent from your sins and, you know, all the things that John the Baptist had already prepared them to do. But what did he do all the while, while he was going throughout? You ever wonder why the multitudes just came out of nowhere? Look what happened when he came from the wilderness. The Bible lets us know the word spread. The first miracle he performed, the word began to spread. You know what I like, though? The multitude didn't just come because he was a good speaker. They came because he had something else. He had something greater than the Pharisees. He had something greater than those legalistic Christians. He had something genuine, authentic. It was power. And when they came to him, it didn't matter what they had. 
whether it was a disease for 12 years, whether it was demons that was causing them to be tormented, you know, whether it was death. You had little kids that was raised up from the dead. You had a grown man who was in the tomb for, what, three days? Wrapped up. He was good for dead. And then Jesus comes and says, get up, Lazarus. It ain't your time yet. Oh, he had some power. But then what did he tell his disciples? He says, hey, don't worry about it. He says, yes, I'm leaving. He says, but guess what? I'm not going to leave you comfortless. (laughs) I'm sending my spirit in my name. Don't worry about it. He says, you wait in Jerusalem, but until you be endued with power. And and, and after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're going to receive that power. And you're going to be witnesses. Now, you're going to be able to perform the things that I performed. You're going to be able to walk in the things that I walked in. Don't worry about them demons that you couldn't cast out before. I'm about to give you some power so when you walk by them same demons, you'll be able to call them out. Just by your shadow, they're going to be running because of the power I'm giving you. That's what the gospel is about. Why are you hiding from the demons that's trying to creep in your home? Don't worry about it. I gave you power. You take a stand. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made you free and exercise the power of God that he's given you. That's where it's at. It's an awesome thing. I I love it. I really do. To know that it's not just a bunch of fancy words and when I leave from the house of God, I'm still powerless and defenseless and I can't shake those can't can't help it and those habits and those other things that's got me bound. But I know that I can leave the house of God and still walk in the authority and the power of the spirit of God and no weapon formed against me shall prosper because he's given me power. And the more I stand in the gospel, I'm still prepared. No matter what comes my way, I still got power. There's power in the gospel. Sometimes if we just preach the gospel to folks, we'll see a whole lot more lives liberated. We preach doctrine in the house of God to the people of God, but if we could just share the gospel with those folks that's out there. Just let them know there's hope in Jesus Christ. God wants to change your life. He wants to give you something better than what you've experienced before. He wants to make sure that you're walking in liberty and freedom. You thought you had something before when you was enjoying yourself for a temporary moment of time, but he wants to give you something that will last forever. And all those things that had you bound, you can be freed from it. You can be freed from depression. You can be freed from doubt and fear. We're going to talk about fear. You can be freed from the diagnosis of the doctors. You can be freed from what the doctors can't cure and what they can't help you with. You can be freed from insanity and psychological imbalance. I got to quit. I got to quit. I'm over my time. There's power in the gospel. So keep them laced up. Keep them tied up. And keep walking in the gospel. And you'll see. It's not only going to continue to change your life. But it's going to change the lives of other people that you come in contact with. Amen.